This episode is brought to you by PitchDMM, the football fan app that gives fans a voice and allows you to rate your team, the players, and pick your formation and your squad in real time, every game, and compete with your mates. Have fun whilst generating a voice that will be listened to. Your club, your voice, be heard. Get it now on Google Play and download it on the Apple App Store. You are listening to an official podcast from Kings of Europe, your football link to the European Super Leagues. Good evening, everyone. I want to welcome everybody back to the Kings of Europe podcast, episode nine. Uh, just one week removed from the Champions League final, and man, it has been uh, quite the week, and what a doozy it's been. Right back at you here, uh, Thursday night, Friday morning, wherever you are listening to us at from the world, we do appreciate it. And we're going to have an interesting episode tonight because we're going to venture a little bit outside of just the European game, but also talk uh, about the European game in comparison to some of the stuff that's going on domestically in the United States. There's some good things happening in American soccer, or if you will, football, depending on, uh, and, and I do want to say, guys from the UK, you know that you used the term soccer for many, many years, and then it became uncool at some point. And the Americans, we just said, hey, it sounds like a good term. We have a game called football that we, we, we like to call effectively so, uh, and we're going to stick with that. So, whether you call it soccer, whether you call it football, uh, Major League Soccer is doing a lot of good things. Some teams still, unfortunately, living by the retirement rule for uh, past their prime European stars. Other teams, uh, such as the team that our featured guest tonight uh, supports, not so much. They're doing things based on the European or global model, and they're doing it the right way. And it is uh, shown to absolutely be proving itself. Uh, effectively as Atlanta United FC have become one of the darlings, but also one of the more successful sides in Major League Soccer in a very, very short amount of time. Also, I want to thank everybody last week for listening. Had a lot of great support on the uh, Champions League final uh, summary show, review show, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Still, as I said, reeling from that defeat. Um, And we're going to get into a little bit of that with our guest uh, because uh, she has watched this as, as well. And I want to get her thoughts just briefly on what she saw in the 3-1 Real Madrid uh, defeat, uh, excuse me, victory over Liverpool FC. At this time, though, I uh, want to give a shout out to Cigar City. I'm still, I'm still finishing off that six-pack from uh, Sunday. And it's quite nice. It's the, uh, the Tocobaga, the Red India Pale Ale. Fantastic stuff from them. As I said, not a lot of good things come out of Florida, but that is one good thing that comes out of Florida. That brewery is fantastic. If you get a chance to check them out in your stateside, please do so. And uh, the good bourbon ran out tonight, so I'm drinking Knob Creek. Don't judge me for it. It's, it is what it is. Um, I'm out of Bullet and Buffalo Trace and all that good stuff. So this is what I have to deal with. I'm, I'm, I'm on the, uh, the, the budget stuff, so to speak. So at this time, though, I want to welcome uh, a guest that we've been looking forward to having on the show for quite some time. She is uh, Atlanta United FC supporter and the lovely from Atlanta, Georgia, Kelly Francis. Kelly, how are you doing tonight? 
I am doing really well. I love uh, how you um, bullet is normally a go-to for me. So um, I, I appreciate the Knob Creek. I myself am uh, having a very lovely glass of 14 hands Cabernet. So um, I'm a whiner more than I am a bourboner, mm-hmm. but uh, I appreciate it either way. <laughs> Yeah, we do. We do love our bourbon on the uh, the kings of Europe as well as our our, our craft beer. I have noticed this. <laughs> I mean, you can't you can't have football and not have uh, a little bit of uh, uh, bourbon or, or craft beer to go along with it, or a good English ale that'll do. You know, whatever whatever comes best. Or as I'm liking to push, a very nice glass of red wine. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I'm, I've been a huge fan of red wine for, I don't know how many years. So, um, to me, I, there, the normal stigma is to have a beautiful, um, pint of ale, whatever it be to watch the, uh, football match, but, Mm -hmm. um, more so I've been, uh, gravitating towards red wine. So I'm going to try and make it a thing. Who knows? I do have the fancy every now and again for a good, glass a very very good glass of merlot and or cabernet so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna bring i'm gonna bring some vino into the program here in the next coming oh, weeks yeah okay so i'm i'm gonna just gonna take your advice on that i do i do appreciate a good red uh not a big white wine fan but definitely uh red is my thing so and it, it's it's to me the most relaxing drink in the world so that's that's mostly what uh wine does for me it really just puts me into the uh oh for for sure and it definitely depends on which one you drink so um i'm more of a uh cabernet slash zinfandel drinker so when i talk about the red wines i like to drink i like to talk about um hearty full body like red wines that you drink that punch you in your stomach sort of thing (laughs) um like uh for instance when i go to the wine store that i go to here in atlanta um i basically say i want a wine that makes me feel like I'm drinking tobacco and or leather and they give me perfect options. So, um, <laughs> tobacco or leather. Uh, I like it. It's, it's like, it's like I call it the cowboy wines. Uh, but yeah. Well, that is, uh, I'll have to ask for, for, for leather the next time I go into the, you should, the... you should. It's a very interesting taste of a red wine, but they know exactly what you mean when you say tobacco and leather. So just have yourself some fun in that market. Oh my goodness. I'm yeah. Le- leather wine. There we go. That's going to be, that's, that's a new terminology for me. I'm going to have to try that out. Um, so moving on to the world of football. So, so there was a, there was a little match on Saturday between Liverpool FC and Real Madrid. Uh, I'm sure you've watched it at this point. I know you have. And what were quickly your takeaways from that match? Uh, Real Madrid uh, obviously coming away 3-1, three consecutive uh, Champions Leagues in a row. First time since Bayern Munich in the 1970s. Uh, legendary team, obviously, for uh, Zinedine Zidane. So what did you, what were your, what were some of your takeaways from, from the match and, uh, what do you think Real Madrid did right, and what did Liverpool do wrong? Okay, well, I'm going to first state that I was watching it at a Liverpool bar mm-hmm. uh, with a very good Liverpool friend, a uh, friend of mine. Mm-hmm. So, um, to 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 everybody listening, I was obviously pulling for a certain team. Um, <laughs> as you should, as you should, as you should. Um, and I also say this because I. And we'll obviously get into this possibly later, but um, I'm not a big fan of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, He's just not somebody that I gravitate 
uh, towards uh, appreciating and or watching. Um, so Real Madrid has always been a team to me, which I don't really like. It also comes from me um, not necessarily liking them because I'm a Barcelona fan. Um, mm. So I, I decided to more so weigh on the side of Liverpool, although it was not my first uh, choice of team. I think Real Madrid did a lot of great things in this match. I feel like um, I was expecting more of the match in general. Uh, a lot of I don't want to say a lot of the game, but uh, there are two decisive moments, and we all know which moments I'm talking about, that ended up being goalie errors yeah. that are being talked about a bit more now than I feel like they should be. I mean, uh, Karras obviously had the awful, um, I guess, uh, throw pass to his uh, player, which ended up being intercepted and then kicked into a goal. Um, I can tell you everybody at that bar was not very happy with it, and there were a lot of people yelling in my ear. Um, and then additionally, we had the screamer from Gareth Bale. And I think what needs to be talked more so, though, about it is how the mentality of Real Madrid kept uh, solid throughout the match. Um, there were a lot of moments in the game which uh, they obviously could have lost the integrity that they had with within the players and within the pace of play that they played. Uh, but I think overall Real Madrid ended up just being the better team that night as much as I love Liverpool and as much as I wanted for that, uh, for the game to end up being, you know, um, two, two or three, three coming the end five minutes of that match. Um, there, there were just a lot of things going against Liverpool, and it ended up being more of a uh, mental game than it was a physical game. So I think in that regard, uh, Real Madrid pulled out, and they won. So good on them. Um, good on them to hold strong through injuries. Um, taking Mohamed Salah, uh, Salah, Mohamed Salah off the, the pitch obviously was a huge blow for Liverpool. Yep. So much of their game is uh, created through him. Um, Salah ob- obviously is a world-class player, and I uh, fully hope he recovers and he uh, is ready to play for Egypt in the World Cup. Yep. But Liverpool need to be able to bounce back and or have a comparable game plan um, when a player like Salah is taken off the pitch. And I don't think that they had that that night. And um, as good as one player is, you cannot race, uh, rest the whole morale and or functionality of your team off of it. So, Yeah, and the thing with, the thing with uh, Karius is I worry more about his mental fragility and, and if he's able to come back from that. Because I, I was listening to... Uh, Another podcast today, I think it was the Liverpool Echo, and they were talking about the prospect of, you know, sports psychology is a fascinating thing. And you, if you throw an interception in the Super Bowl to lose the game, it's, uh, which Peyton Manning did against my Saints. I just want to say that just real quick. Um, <laughs> of course, <laughs> so, solid Saints reference. Absolutely, absolutely. That was a, a cheap plug that I was just basically waiting for. But I mean, I'm technically an Atlanta Falcons fan, so we've got, I ooh, don't care about your Saints. I know you don't. Um, but if you, if you do something like that, it, it takes a guy like a Peyton Manning who has mental toughness to come back from it. And it doesn't, I, I haven't really seen Karius have a moment. Obviously, he, he lost his job. He came in from, from Mainz, and he was supposed to challenge Mignolet for the starting 
goalkeeper position with Liverpool. He basically lost out on that almost as soon as he joined the club and was a non-factor last season. Mignolet was by far and above the better keeper. This season he comes in, takes the starting job around Christmas, does pretty well. I mean, he's progressed nicely over the past four months and didn't just become the cup keeper. He became their regular league keeper as well. But when you make an error like that, uh, with such, I mean, it, it is a schoolyard error. It is something that, that, that unfortunately, unfortunately ended up being two errors during the match. So yeah, it, yeah, I keep, but keep going with what you're saying. Yeah. But the, the, the rollout to Benzema was, yeah, uh, I no, would that say was just bad. atomic, atomic bad. I mean, we're talking Kim Jong-un bad. I mean, really, really, <laughs> really, really bad. Oh I, my God. Yeah. I'm not oh, even, wow. I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even testing stuff on my own island. I'm I'm shooting at you now. I mean, this is this wow. is yeah. We're 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 going beyond the Korean. The Korean. It was North Korea bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's North Korea bad. And <laughs> you wonder, you wonder, and, and the, the the sad part about it is with Karius, we won't see him in in you know competitive action again. Yeah, there's some friendlies over here in the states. I know Karius. Uh, that uh, one of the matches that I'm interested in is when Liverpool play Dortmund here in Charlotte, uh, July 22nd. Uh, but you know you can't really you can't really judge someone's performance based on a friendly. Julian Green scored a hat trick last season, uh, two seasons ago, for Bayern Munich in a preseason friendly against Inter that I went to go see. And right. Julian Green was promptly told by Bayern, "You are getting loaned out to Stuttgart, and you can go and never be heard from again." So thank you very much for your services. You obviously are not Bayern Munich material, but he scored a hat trick in a friendly against a. Very formidable opponent in Inter Milan in Charlotte, North Carolina. So those are Carius needs to obviously prove himself again. Match day one with Liverpool has to get that confidence back. And I think beyond that, we're kind of in the dark on him right now because until you get that first save, until you get that first ball coming your way from the opposition you're not going to really know how you're going to react, and we don't know how you're going to react. So it's our lasting impression of him is, is unfortunately that error, and we're going to have to look all summer long to see where how he recovers from that. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I remember uh, being in the bar, and I remember a lot of people were taught just replacing him outright. So yeah. um, I... I would love for for that to not happen. I mean, obviously, as a goalkeeper, um, the this not that the stakes are higher, but the stakes are higher. Yeah. Um, so obviously, very careless mistakes that were made. Um, can't some of them can't be defended? Some of them can. I mean, obviously, the bicycle kick from Gareth Bale is just a wonder goal, and for that to have happened and. Obviously, this um, this match is <laughs> um, it will be replayed for many, 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 many years to come. And there's there's nothing any goalie can do really to that. But um, it, it will be interesting to see what Liverpool does for the next uh, for the obviously for the offseason to, to, to decide whether he stays on the team or whether he's replaced or what ends up happening with that. But I, I love nothing more than a goalkeeper to stay with the team, to prove his worth, to bounce back from something like that. Um, I mean, I obviously know since um, America is weirdly really great at uh, making goalkeepers. Um, yeah, they are. Uh, yes, 
weirdly good at it. Weirdly. We can't do much anything else, but we can make goalkeepers. Um, but one of the things that's very interesting to see with any uh, American goalkeeper, especially within the MLS, is to see how they come back after uh, serving defeat. So for us, the best reference I can say was when we lost our playoff game to um, Columbus, and it was a shootout. Um, to see uh, Brad Guzan, who is a world-renowned uh, goalkeeper, uh, obviously played in the EPL, um, to sort of bounce back. And he's now one of the leading goalies for uh, MLS, and uh, I couldn't be more proud of him. So it, it, it just it's, it's based on time, and it's based on how you react to uh, losses and or hardships. So we'll see. Totally agree. Um, So switching over to another team in the EPL that wears red, uh, not fully red, they wear red and white. Uh, We spoke a couple weeks ago to Arsenal fans about the departure of Arsene Wenger, and we we did so after their Europa League loss on aggregate to Atletico Madrid, who ended up, of course, winning that tournament. Uh, I wanted to talk, I wanted wanted to give the Gooners, I wanted to be true on my word and give them a proper send-off for Arsene and also recap their season quickly. Um... You know, looking at where Arsenal was this season, they, they, they came on that Friday night in the Premier League opener and gave us a thrilling 4-3 victory against Leicester. It was, it was a proper display for the league, but it said a lot of things about them, I feel like. There were a lot of deficiencies in their defense. They obviously had some scoring talent, brought in Lacazette over the summer, there seems to be a widening gap, however, between Arsenal and they are in the top six. So I'm going to consider them a top six side, but certainly the top four. And they were in that sixth spot, seven points ahead of Burnley, but seven points behind Chelsea. So they weren't really going anywhere. They were they were number six pretty much convincingly. So with Arsene Wenger... Everyone remembers the 2003-2004 season, the Arsenal Invincibles, going undefeated through the Premier League. And it kind of climaxed, I want to say, in 2006 with the UEFA Champions League final against Barcelona. Kelly, your Barcelona. And, oh, my Barcelona. Yeah. I love those guys. And they lost 2-1. to one. And from that point on, Arsenal, yeah, they had a couple of seasons where they finished second. They, you know, but they weren't, they didn't really you know, consistently seriously challenged for the Premier League title anymore after that 2000, sort of 2003 to 2006 run. And and it was such a struggle for them to get to that Champions League final. They had a very difficult semifinal uh, uh, draw and got through by the skin of their teeth. That 2006 Barcelona side with Ronaldinho, uh, very, 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 very young Lionel Messi, but just... Uh, you know, Barcelona's always got talent, but Ronaldinho was just a, a different breed in and, of, in and of himself. He's uh, still one of my favorite players from growing up. Just, I mean, what he could do with the ball, I'm not going to get too far off, but just amazing. And Arsenal became kind of this top four side. They became sort of a, hey, this is good enough. We're getting to the Champions League. As long as we're top four, we're in the Champions League. But they never, despite dominating the group stages, they never really advanced past the round of 16, certainly not past the quarterfinals many more times. And everything then focused on the league and the league was top four. That was, that was what they did. So as we look at Arsene Wenger's kind of countdown, it ends with two consecutive seasons without champions league, Uh, two consecutive seasons in the Europa league. Granted the one season, 
this being the 2017-18 season, did very well, got to the semifinals, lost to a very respectable opponent in Atletico Madrid, who obviously no one saw them bowing out of the Champions League in the group stage. That was just uh, kind of a freak freak event. But nonetheless, they did what they had to do. They made the best of the situation. They took on the silverware. Arsenal, of course, one of their victims on the way to that. So, Kelly, where do you... How do you see? How do you see Arsene Wenger and his legacy as far as Arsenal? It's obviously twenty-two years with the club, has ha, has won the league title, got to one Champions League final, but just it seemed like he always lacked that one home run ball. I guess you could say just just, just something that really cemented his legacy because all most of the stuff that he did that was really great in his career, he did it the early parts. He did it the very uh, not the beginning, but but definitely the first half of his career. The latter half was sort of the slow but steady decline of Arsenal FC. And that's where we're at at this point today. Sixth place, out of the Champions League, back in the Europa League for the second consecutive season, and nowhere near the top four. Right, right, right. So as, as we discussed, that um, uh, Wenger has been in since 1996, which if anybody... Uh, looking at um, a coaching position in a major EPL team to be on a team for 22 years is somewhat unthinkable. The fact that the uh, mentality and or the plan and the rule of a coach can last for over 22 years is um, in my opinion, somewhat unheard of. Um, I'm not entirely sure the first year that the Vinger out uh, sign started. Uh, maybe you can clarify me on that. But um, it, it is somewhat a, a weird idea to look at somebody that's been ruling over a team for as long as he has to now all of a sudden not be in a picture anymore. And I think that um, when we definitely start going into the uh, talk of the new coach, that this is going to have a, a play in it. Um, during the 2016, 2006 to 2011 uh, years, you know, obviously you had the state and move and the transi- transition. And then when you get into the 2011 sort of 2018 years, you're rebuilding and you're trying to return this idea of winning trophies and being a winning league. I feel like um, Arsenal has put a, a good front against that. But in the end, I think that um, Wenger out has honestly lasted too long. I have a lot of uh, diehard Arsenal fans. Mm-hmm. And, and they they for sure have been seeing Wenger out for more than a few years. So Yeah, they have, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's just it's a manner of going from seeing how um, – you know, he started with Arsenal and how he ran the team, um, you know, his first sort of season and how, uh, you know, they had a little bit of early success. Um, but then when you started seeing um, a transition and, and sort of a decline around the – such a crazy idea. I think it's like a 2006 to 2011. Yeah. That's almost uh, um, six years of a decline. Um, and then we get into this – this uh, idea of they should rebuild and or uh, come back to the um, where Arsenal used to be before Wenger came in, which is where your 2011 to 2018 years, you're looking at uh, six, six, I can't, obviously can't do math, uh, <laughs> six plus years of us constantly waiting for Arsenal to um, uh, <sighs> be the team that we wanted Arsenal to be. 
um, I guess, is the best thing I can say to that. Sure. Um, and you can obviously uh, talk on this a bit more, but, um, yeah, yeah. Vinger out has been something that um, culturally has been spread across both the uh, European nations and or America. And it almost became a joke at a point. And um, when, when, uh, when a coach has been asked to or and or stated as Vinger out for as long as he has, I feel like um, a, a team or um, this point in time uh, organization should have made a move quicker. Um, but when, when you've been there that long, you sort of hold the reins on most decisions. Yeah. He became sort of an, not only the face of the club, but he became, I don't want to say he became bigger than the club, but it was, it was definitely when you, when you said Arsenal FC, the first thing you thought of was Arsene Wenger. He, he was sort of the, the iconic figure, this, this, uh, you know, uh, once in a lifetime, once in a generation manager. He was there, Alex Ferguson, without, of course, many of the trophies that Alex won. But they, they their their careers sort of uh, paralleled each other's in terms of years spent with their their individual clubs. Obviously, uh, Ferguson got to United a little bit earlier than Wenger got to Arsenal, and by that, Ferguson also left United before Arson left Arsenal, but they, they were there all, you know, both were there uh, with United and Arsenal respectively over 20 years. Wenger to me though, what really kind of stands out is the fact that, he, like I said, he did a lot of his really great things. The invincible season, 03, 04. He did a lot of those things in the first portion of his Arsenal tenure. And those, I want to say maybe the supporters and, for those of you who you know want to educate me a little bit more on this, then please do tweet at us and, and let us know. But in my in my viewpoint, they became a little spoiled, and when you get spoiled, you become used to winning. And it's 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 like it's kind of like this. Uh, you know, the Yankees have this in baseball, the Lakers have it in basketball, United has it in football. They're going through a similar thing right now with no title since 2013, since Ferguson's uh, last uh, title winning season. And this is the same thing that, you know, AC Milan's going through. It's it, 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 many teams go through. You, 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 this Wenger out thing, you top four. It's complacency, not, honestly, is what yeah. it is. It's complacency towards the, what the team is doing and we're performing. Um, for a long period of time, I felt like uh, it was complacency with the status of the team and, uh, and or why the team is not performing to standards that they feel like they should be performing to. Um, it's, it's, it's hard because as a fan and as a supporter of any team, you want to be able to defend and you will defend the team good or bad. Um, but there is a, there's a point in time and this is also goes with what you said with the Yankees. And um, I mean, with honestly, any majorly well-known team, there is a, a bit of complacency and I don't want that to say that to be rude in any way, but there's a bit of complacency when it comes to a team where you, not that you accept what's going on, but you look at it and you're like, it's okay. This is going to happen. Um, but you don't necessarily look at the reasons and the reasons why it's happening and, or try to see if maybe you should change mm-hmm. what's going on. So it's I give them credit though for sticking with him because if Bayern Munich went two years, two years without winning the league title, they would sack. It doesn't matter who it was. It could be Zidane coaching Bayern Munich. If they didn't win the Bundesliga, 
two years in a row, it doesn't matter what your name is, you would be sacked. And Arsenal stuck with Wenger for... 22 years. Yeah, 22 years. And, you know, because I believe sometimes, and this is where we, sometimes I think we go a little bit awry with managers. Those who do so well and spoil you based on those accolades and achievements that they got, when things, when times get tough, sometimes they are the best ones to dig themselves and the club back out of it. So I, I, I think that giving him the opportunity to, 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 you know, especially last season, they win the FA Cup. You know, right. silverware. He, no, he, he does them out time and time again. I mean, there, there's there's no denying that Wenger is a fantastic coach. Um, but whether or not uh, he he needed to continue to be the coach for Arsenal was the, the biggest question, I think, yeah. from most supporters. I want to jump on real quick to, so Arsenal was led by Alexander Lacazette, the uh, summer transfer with 14 goals. But it's the winner transfer guy, the, the, the Dortmund's uh absolutely insane striker 31 goals last season in the Bundesliga won the golden boot award in that league led Dortmund uh, alongside Marco Royce back to champions league again last season. And he gets, he, he kind of uh, leaves Dortmund on a sour note. He has a childish mentality. He's a 28 year old child as he's self-proclaimed. He's a little bit crazy. He's crazy Alba, but Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang comes in in the January transfer window scores 10 goals in the second half of the season, far outperforming Alexander Lacazette. Uh, Aubameyang lines up in a position that he came very familiar with in Dortmund. He was a outright number nine for during the Thomas Tuchel era and especially the Peter Bosch era there this past season. But when he came into Dortmund, he was a winger. And he played wing uh, a good bit of the time at Arsenal this season. And... Goes on to score 10 goals, as I said. He outperformed Lacazette just based in the second half of the season by far and above their best player. He scored the last competitive goal in Arsene Wenger's career, which was the 1-0 win over Huddersfield on match day 38. They uh, go out a winning note. Was that – where do you see Kelly? Is Lacazette just going to line up as a number nine and have Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on the wing? Or is Lacazette expendable now and Aubameyang becomes the, the, the number one target as far as goal scoring goes? Uh, um, obviously, I was just hired for the Arsenal coaching job, so I can answer this fully. <laughs> uh, um, honestly, that, that depends. Um, when, when we start getting into um, the way coaches will move around players, I think Aubameyang was a great pickup for Arsenal. I think um, as far as a, when we talk about the quality of a striker, um, pfft, he's one of the top 10 in EPL. Um, so I think for the price that they got him and I think for you know the time at the point in his career when they got him, it was a great deal. Uh, whether or not they need another striker, obviously with Lacazette there uh, is a very contentious debate between Arsenal fans. Yeah. Um, but I'd be interested. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, even though he is my age, um, and I'm not going to, uh, further that conversation. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I feel like well, I just gave his age away. So I'm sorry. Now we know how old you are. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Um, uh, but I, he's got, he's got many more years ahead of him. I feel, I do feel like, uh, Aubameyang will become 
um, Arsenal's number one striker. It will be interesting to see how he um, obviously lines up and with Lacazette being there as well. Um, one of the things I like to think of is that um, with teammates, obviously, um, chemistry is something that has to be worked upon uh, over time. Uh, and I feel like even though we want to judge and or try and determine which one of these uh, strikers and or forwards is going to be the breadwinner as far as goals and or assist or, you know, who we look at as being um, the number one forward on the team. I feel like with with given time, chemistry can yeah. uh, allow that to not be a competition. Um and that's honestly, when you think about a team uh, and you think about their forwards on the team and the way that they play their formations, whether it's a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, which um, Arsenal is you know, known to playing either. Uh, they really like that 4-3-3, especially towards the end of the season. That's they what, yeah. do. Mm-hmm. They really do. But you still, you still have to think about that you're sitting there then with four, four uh, sorry, four, uh, three <laughs> forwards. Yeah. So... Um, Aubameyang, yes, is going to be uh, a goal scorer. I mean, he is built that way. He uh, functions that way. He sees the plays and or balls that way. He gets himself in the, the correct position almost every time to to capitalize on those chances when they're created. But I don't think it needs to be one above the other. I think that both can de- deliver um, adequate performances and or adequate uh, stats when you look at who's, who's able of performing day of. So... Definitely. And, uh, you know, that's the thing they can line up uh, with either Alex Iwobi on the outside. Uh, so across from Aubameyang uh, with Lacazette in the middle, or they can uh, put Henrik Mkhitaryan in there. So they they have they have some options there uh, going on to another transfer that they're talking about. So it, it, it's it's so weird that they're picking up a lot of Dortmund's players because uh, Sven Mislintat, obviously the head scout for Dortmund, he joined uh, Arsenal. I believe January of this past season. He's either can't remember if it was summer or the winter, but anyways, he left basically Dortmund to go to Arsenal. So Obama Yang makes a lot of sense. Uh, mm-hmm. He, I miss him. I have a lot of his damn jerseys with uh, <laughs> for Dortmund, um, and I, I I can't help but I, I, I do love the guy. He's 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 batshit crazy, and I'm not saying this because you know I believe that. I'm saying it because. He has admitted this, so it's 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 on you, Alba. You 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 know, you, if you call yourself that, don't get on me for calling you that. But I mean, Abba, Abba is a is a man who knows himself. He obviously truly. has great fresh haircuts every time. I love to see whatever <laughs> hair he's rocking at the at the time that he's rocking it. But yeah, no, uh, he knows himself. So therefore, that's the same thing that I feel with uh, Hector Bellerin. I mean, um, I. I follow Hector Bellerin on Instagram just to see what he's wearing. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, he's more fashionable than I am. And then <laughs> I feel like I need to compare myself. Hector Bellerin, him, yes. So. Yeah. Well, they're talking, speaking of Hector Bellerin and him, the, the back four, they're talking about buying uh, Socrates Papadopoulos, uh, Papastadopoulos from uh, Borussia Dortmund, a guy who I have roasted and toasted and broasted this year uh, from start <laughs> to finish. Guy who's who either lacks the motivation or the skills have significantly declined. He often is seen ball watching. He gets nutmeg quite often. He loses his marker more times than I can count, and has quite often become a liability for Borussia Dortmund. Far more liability than he is a strength or a 
stalwart in defense like he used to be. Very much now more so a fighter. He will get in other people's faces and he will fight for the ball, except the ball's five five meters past him when he goes to fight for it. So he's 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 grabbing it here. Now, as a Dortmund supporter, very happy to see him go. However, Arsenal, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You have, you know, your 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 back four essentially consists of, you know, uh, you you've got Mustafi back there, Rob Holding, uh, Montreal, Bellerine. I just don't see how Socrates fits in there, especially with his his declining skill. So that one, Kelly, I don't know how much you've seen of him this season, but um, he. He's definitely trending far more down than he is up. So, And there's a dispute right now about how much the transfer fee should be. I know Dortmund's asking for 18. Arsenal was offered, I believe, 15. But that, yeah, I, yeah, for some reason I heard 16 was the, the yes. final. Yeah, I think that is I, what they sort of met in the middle on that. Yeah, I haven't seen much of him play, so I can't... You haven't um, missed much. You haven't missed much. <laughs> I can't comment uh, much on what that is, but um, I will say, um, and I'm going to battle for defenders in general. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it depends on the players that you're playing with. Sometimes it depends on it depends on the coach that you're um, under. Um, I've seen, and this goes for my experience with MLS players. I have seen MLS defenders who weren't necessarily looked at being as being one of the best defenders in the league. Um, and then it, they changed teams and coaches and uh, teammates. And they uh, suddenly uh, there's like a new spark of life that's rejuvenated in them. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're this incredible uh, defender that we must look at to uh, com- compare like how, the, how well they replays and all this good stuff. So I haven't I haven't seen much um, on him this year. I mean, I will admittedly say that I don't watch much of Dortmund um, outside of the, the the common highlights of Christian Pulisic because yeah. um, obvious um, Homer mentalities that I have with that. Um, <laughs> and when he but, leaves, you'll forget about us, Kelly. You'll just forget about us. <laughs> I mean, I'm honestly I'm 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 looking at buying tickets to go to the Liverpool Dortmund game. Um, oh, so okay. maybe I can come up there and see you guys. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I, I should be at that game. Uh, actually, discussing right now about potentially getting some media passes with Dortmund. So, oh, um, look at that. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely targeting that game. And uh, if you come up there, we'll definitely, we'll definitely connect and grab a beer. There's so many great breweries in Charlotte. It is insane how North Carolina beer scene is just top in the southeast. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, nonetheless, so yeah, Socrates. I agree with you. There is sometimes a new lease on life with a defender when he goes somewhere else. And I don't hold that to not be true in his case. I just, I, I haven't seen that spark out of him this year. And he certainly had enough chances. There's gotta be, there's gotta be literally some reason why Arsenal is it. I mean, Arsenal itself is a name and it's a club and they can literally pull uh, anybody they want because they have the bankroll to do it. So you've got to think that there's there's some reason and why they're bringing him in. Sure. Um, that's the only thing I can say in uh, his favor and Ars- Arsenal's favor. Um, 
I, I know that there's many gooners who will 100% hound me for that. But I mean, you've got to you've got to think that if there's a reason that they're um, approaching him and or pursuing him, that there's a reason for it. So totally. And the last thing I want to talk about with Arsenal is the new manager Unai, em- Unai Emery from Paris Saint Germain. Uh, he comes in with uh, quite the impressive record. Uh, Sevilla, three consecutive UEFA Europa League titles. That is unprecedented. He goes to Paris Saint-Germain from Sevilla. 87 wins, 12 losses, 15 draws, 76.3% win percentage. Gets the double this year. Wins the Copa de la Ligue. Wins the, uh, the um, uh, Ligue 1 championship by double digits over Monaco. No, never really threatened. They had the thing wrapped up basically. Uh, honestly, if you want to be honest with yourself, since the fall, it was never really uh, you know, any question there. All they needed to do was advance in the Champions League. Obviously failed to do that. Lost to the eventual champions, Real Madrid, in the round of 16. And they went home. Now Emery takes over Arsenal. And I think that I believe he's going to do some great things there. I don't think the pressure to win immediately at Arsenal is going to be as high as the pressure was at Paris Saint-Germain to win the Champions League now. Because they've done everything they can do in the Ligue 1. They've done everything they can do in in the domestic cups. Paris Saint-Germain does not have a trophy in France that they are lacking. But they are lacking European titles. And I think that's what he was brought in to do with his experience at Sevilla. He did that three times consecutively before he joined Paris. Was not able to do so in either season. In fact, it should be brought up that your Barcelona, Kelly, your Barcelona... <laughs> Uh, they fell behind 4-0 at the Parc des Princes in Paris, essentially done and dusted, eliminated in the in, in, in the early stages of the Champions League in 2017-16. Uh, yeah, 2016-17, sorry. And they go on a remarkable run beating Paris 6-1. 6-1 at the New Camp. 6-1. Of course they do. It's Barcelona. Right. It's Barcelona. It's Barcelona. <laughs> and I feel like that Emery has now been sort of, he's known better for that defeat than he is for the three consecutive Europa League titles at Sevilla. So he does have something to prove at Arsenal. And he has obviously the cash flow to do to get the players that he needs. So he's not going to be lacking anything in the finance department. He inherits a pretty good group of players, I must say. He's not getting uh, the cupboards, not empty. But, no, not at all. Not yeah. at all. So where do you think – what's the time limit here? Does he have one, two, three years? And what are the expectations? Obviously, return to Champions League, so we're looking at top four. But, Kelly, is it really – is it realistic with – Chelsea, Liverpool is now on the rise. Manchester United has the biggest asshole on the planet, Mourinho, managing them. But an effective asshole. He wins matches. He does so ugly. He plays shit football, but they get the results. And, of course, Pep Yeah, Bardella. and we're not even talking about Sanchez at this point, and he's not a favorite of mine, even though he's played for Barcelona. So, like, let's <laughs> not get into Right. Um, so, so can Arsenal get back in the top four next season? And, uh, more importantly, where... How much how much rope are they going to give him to get back to where they think that they should be? That's that's a tough question because you're looking at a uh, organization now with Arsenal that's been under the same management for 22 years. Mm-hmm. So they're um, and I'm going to relate this obviously to dating because um, <laughs> everybody <laughs> is very aware how dating goes. 
but you've been with someone, uh, and I won't use 10, 22 years, that's a long time, but you've been with someone. I wasn't dating for, 22 years ago. I don't know what that feels like. So 22 yeah, years ago. Uh, you've been dating someone for an extended period of time, and then you finally come to the realization that they're not good for you, and or that they need to be let go. So you let them go, and then you start dating this new person, Emery. Um, and you think, oh, he can offer me so much wonderful things. But at the point in time, you start looking at it, you're like, okay, logistically, let's look at this as a soccer franchise mm -hmm. um, or uh, an institution. We cannot honestly expect um, Emery to come into this uh, club and completely write all of what is going on with Arsenal that's been going on with Arsenal for 22 years in the first year. That's insane. Um, that's expecting the rebound guy that you date to be able to fix all of your childhood dating issues and or insecurities <laughs> within the first three months that you're dating. It's just insane. Um, and if you think that that's a possibility, I'm sorry to um, tell you it's not. Um, so you, you have to look at it in that sense that, that honestly, um, Emery is a rebound coach. Um, you really so think so? You really think so? You really think so? It, it's not that Emery is, is lower quality. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying the fact that we've been with Arsene Wenger for so long that Emery is going to be new and we're going to have all these expectations on how we think the club should be run and whether or not the club is run that way, we're going to have opinions on that too. So I think if you really want to see the best out of this manager and the best out of this club, you give him a little bit of breathing room. And I want to say a little bit of breathing room. I'd say you give him at least two years, see what he can do within two years. Um, if he stays at the same pace as Arsene Wenger within the first year, he's doing okay. If he improves the uh, results of Arsene Wenger for the last three years within the second year, you keep him. Um, it's, this, it's this whole debate that's actually honestly been going on also in MLS soccer because there was this whole idea that uh, Patrick Vieira, who, as we all know, was a... Um, Arsenal player under Wenger mm -hmm. would come in and replace uh, Wenger uh, for the Arsenal job, and that didn't end up happening. And so there was this whole talk about what was to ex what was to be expected if Patrick Vieira became the manager. Um, obviously, that didn't happen, but uh, you got to give any manager time. Um, certain managers, depending on how well they vibe with the players and how well they vibe with the organization and or how much leniency, we also have to remember that, how much leniency they get with the organization on money and spending and decision-making. Um, and this is actually also coming from Wenger being there for 22 years. He made most of the decisions. So then now you're having a whole organization and or um, team being like, well, we were duped so many years i don't want to say duped okay dupes the wrong word but uh <laughs> we were told for so many years by wenger what should be done and who should be bought and wenger run, ran that institution for i mean honestly if we want to look at it he's ran that institution for more than eight years like fully ran it so you're looking at then a liberated 
organization that is looking to work with the new manager, but they're also going to have their doubts on him. So it's dependent on how much the team, as far as the players, are willing to vibe with Emery and as well as the um, actual board of Arsenal is willing to give him room to make decisions. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. It's it's, it's kind of like uh, you're. I love the dating analogy. It's like you you've been with Rachel McAdams for so many years, and you're just Thank you, you. Know, you're yeah. just you're you know everything's going great, but she you know she's kind of uh, it's, not, it's like I don't I don't really I you know I don't know if I want to move in with you. I, you know I've been with you for so long, but I just kind of get disinterested, and so she dumps you and. Right. But then you meet Scarlett Johansson. You're like, wow, okay. I mean, <laughs> damn. All right. And, and see, that's why I see like Emery is Scar, Scarlett Johansson's not a rebound. She's, I think she's the next really great girlfriend. And that's oh, why I, I look, agree with you. I look but at Emery as the, the same is way. That when, you are, when you originally meet Scarlett Johansson, you think, oh, this is a rebound. <laughs> you see, um, you think it takes, it takes Scarlett Joe a few dates for you to realize this is not a rebound. Yeah. I see, yeah. I see what you're, I see what you're saying there. So he, he's obviously got to, I think he needs to hit the ground running and really have them in contention for top four at the very minimum, uh, by the Christmas, uh, timeframe. And obviously advancing within the Europa league is, is critical. I do think that that's a tournament that Arsenal would rather win, uh, than not. And, you know, again, it's going to be tough to break in that top five. Top six uh, is obviously something that is a minimum requirement. I mean, you're talking, if you fall out of the top six, then you're down there with the West Hams and the, uh, I, I won't, you know, Leicester, Everton's, stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the thing was, is, you know, I, I, I don't even want to go too far into this, but I, Arsenal is in, could be in danger of becoming the new Everton because, and that's sorry to you, Toffees, but that's just a reality that you guys live in. Sorry, you're the uh, lesser of the mercy side sides, but that's just that's just that's, <laughs> your, that's your life. Like Goodison Park will never be Enfield, but I, I feel like that with the competition that's in London, you have West Ham, you have Tottenham, you have uh, Chelsea, you have uh, Crystal Palace, you have all these all these these clubs around, and you you know Arsenal's not even the top London club anymore, much less in fact they're third. So it's just it's. I think that he, I think he's on a. I think he was on a much shorter leash than than one might expect, considering his record at Paris. He he did phenomenally well. Obviously, the Barcelona loss sticks with you. Um, the only thing that's going to recover from that is a deep run in the Champions League. To say okay, he he definitely overcame that. But I I think he has. I think he's going to get at least two seasons out of it. Oh, I I do too, and that's why that's why I sort of phrase it the way that I did I think that the first season um there's going to be decisions made and we've obviously gone in this with the the defender choices that they're bringing in but there's going to be decisions made that people don't necessarily agree with um but that's at the uh choice and or discretion of the new manager coming in so let him or give him room to try and figure out how to become not only a top four team, but you know maybe maybe the winner there. So give him time, give him space. Uh, definitely give him two years at least. Um, and if you see that he's improved even the 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 tiniest amount um, 
um, from Wenger, then you you give him a third year and then on 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 and so forth. Um, Wenger has been there for so long that uh, it's going to take time to uh, chisel away at the institutions that, that he's put in, in place. So Totally. Uh, absolutely great. Now I want to shift topics to your specialty, Kelly, something I've been looking forward to talking with you about since we first set this all up, and that is uh, Major League Soccer, more specifically Atlanta United FC. And for the European listeners, uh, there's – this is the one club that I've actually seen have articles written on them on European football blogs. And it's because, in my opinion, and I'm sure and you, Kelly's going to give us a rundown here, but they've done things sort of the European model. They've done things, the MLS quickly with the uh, model that they, they had kind of jump-started off of the 94 World Cup. Uh, and 1996 was the inaugural season. They've since expanded many times. Uh, we're going to get to the pro relegation, promotion relegation debate here in a few minutes. But we in the States do not have the conventional three down, three up system, such as in basically every other country, minus a few exceptions. Uh, obviously, we'll just go ahead and say the ma- vast majority of the world has the promotion relegation system. A massive, massive debate here in the States as it pertains to professional football or professional soccer, whichever whichever one you want to choose, uh, to say the least. But Atlanta United has developed, has basically come along in the past year. Last year was their quote-unquote expansion season in Major League Soccer. They did phenomenally well. They packed the house. They outsold the uh, that professional football team that plays there, the one that throws the pigskin. The one I don't really um, the the guy who choked in the Super Bowl with a twenty five point lead. But anyways, oh, I don't want to talk about that either. Let's I know, I know you don't. I, I love talking about it though. Um, anyways, uh, so fantastic, successful season, Kelly. Why? Wh- what? What has Atlanta United done right? Why are they so many uh, steps ahead of the rest of the league as far as uh, wh- you know how quickly they've come in only what eighteen months or whatever it has been and. They did not take the, let's bring David Beckham, let's bring Ibrahimovic, let's bring Wayne Rooney over. They did things through the youth development. So, so tell us about uh, Atlanta United and what they've done right here. Oh, that would be so many things, right? <laughs> um, um, it, it really honestly goes to the, when we want to talk about models of framing a club around something it would be the european model and um a lot of people sort of were uh interested and or shocked with the fact that we were going with a quote-unquote european model um so darren eels is from tottenham hotspurs Mm -hmm. uh he's worked with that organization um he's been with them for I, I don't actually know how many years, but um, he has worked in their office. He has seen the way that they run their organization. He knows the way that European um, football is designed and the way it functions. Um, Darren Eels obviously uh, applied for the job at Atlanta United FC um, to to uh, Arthur Blank's uh, privy and wonderfully um, the fact that Arthur Blank hired him. But it was this, he thought of Atlanta United FC um, and he organized Atlanta United FC with this whole model of, we are not here for names, we are here for talent. And that in itself was uh, 
I want to say solely a unique idea from MLS, especially when we want to start talking about an expansion team. We, as far as when I say we, Atlanta United, came mm-hmm. into this market not saying, oh, we're going to take the first year to build a team and see where we go. We literally came in the first year that we had play, which was obviously last year, the 2017 season, mm-hmm. and we decided to come in swinging. Um, we knew from the get-go when we got our uh, bid, and um, you know Arthur Blank has been working on this since I think uh, 2013, uh, working to get MLS here. Um, it was definitely something that when it was designed and when it was planned out and when we hired Darren Eels and then consequently hired Carlos Bocanegra, um, that we were not... Uh, ready and or willing to take the MLS model, which is now weirdly enough be calling MLS 2.0 and and allowing that to be the model that we framed ourselves upon. And when I say MLS 2.0, I'm talking about, like you had said, uh, signing uh, David Beckham, which was an LA Galaxy signing. Um, At the time when Beckham came into the market, it made sense. Uh, MLS was not a looked at sport and Beckham was probably one of the most well-known players in the world at that time. So signing somebody like him was going to get eyeballs to the screen. And at the time when we signed Beckham, that made sense. And that was a good, a good transfer and a good idea and a good signing. Here we are fast forward to 2017. Atlanta United is not going to sign somebody like David Beckham. There's no point. The, the idea and the model that we run our club on is the fact that we're going to find the best talent from around the world. We're going to bring them in. We're going to make them superstars in the MLS. And then we're going to send them to the EPL. Because in reality, any South American player and or a player from any continent whatsoever who's not really gained enough uh, media attention and or um, spotlight with coverage is going to want that eye on them, is going to want the prestige of being um, beyond your competitors in a league uh, to, to move them to the EPL. And that's the the, mo- the model that right now, is, as we are seeing, works. Uh, the best thing I can suggest for this, and, because we actually haven't seen it work for one of our bigger players, is when we lost our, um, our number six um, oh my God, why am I blanking right now? Um, we lost our number six during uh, the offseason right uh, before the transfer window was closed. Or, um, oh my God, Carlos. Oh my God, I feel like I'm such a, a terrible person right now. But um, we basically sold that player uh, to Colo Colo. Carlos uh, Bocanegra? No, not Bocanegra. Bocanegra is Carmona. 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 Thank you, Carlos Carmona. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry, all Atlanta fans. I literally blanked for a second. Oh my goodness. Carlos (laughs) Carmona is a Chilean player, and we got him um, obviously when we started building our roster, and he was legitimately a solid number six. He was uh, one of those players that go um, unnoticed, but. Uh, not unnoticed on the stat sheet. He was a bulldog for our team. Um, when we ended up transferring him to Colo Colo in Chile, 
um, it was a is a loss that we thought that we had on our team because we thought we couldn't replace him. I mean, that obviously comes with later. It talks about like who we have on depth. But the interesting part about when we got Carlos Camona is that we originally got him for a set amount on a transfer fee, and we ended up selling him for uh, a, a profit of margin. So the idea here with anybody that comes into Atlanta United, and this goes for Miguel Amaron, this goes for Joseph Martinez, this goes for Tito Vijalba, this goes for um, Ezekiel Barco. Obviously, all those names that I said are South American, they're Argentinian, they're, um, they're Venezuelan, they're Paraguayan. These players who were known in the respective fields where they played in Argentina or in Paraguay or in Venezuela, uh, technically Joseph Martinez played in Italy, um, they, they came over to us um, with the idea that they'd be playing under Tata Martino, as, as we know is a, a prodigious coach for not only the Uruguayan national team, but also, uh, not the Uruguayan, but the Paraguayan national team, and um, obviously for Barcelona, which is my one of my favorite teams. Um, we, didn't, we didn't know that. We didn't know that. No, oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's weird how that knows that. But they, they, these players came over with the idea that they were going to play with Tata Martino. They were going to develop uh, under our system, under the MLS system, and they were going to gain exposure and notoriety from the MLS system to propel them to where they eventually wanted to go. The best example I can have for this, um, and I'm going to stop my rant in a second, but it's Miguel Amaron. He is very much in the running to be the uh, MLS uh, MVP for this season. He very much so could have been the MLS MVP last season, um, but he is our number 10. He is our creator. He is probably one of the most shiftiest, smartest players that are within MLS. Um any team would be lucky to have him. And there is a very, very, very good chance that he leaves us during the summer mm -hmm. um, for an insane amount to go to EPL or a La Liga team um, or any other team. But we acquired him from what was considered and and this is, and I'm going to say this, and I know anybody watching this that, uh, or anybody listening to this, um, we're going by EPL standards, um, is a very low amount, obviously, because EPL is an insane amount of bankroll, um, which is unfortunately something that MLS doesn't have. But we acquired um, Miguel Amaron for, I think, about $8 million, and we're going to end up selling him over $25. So... If anybody wants to figure out the profit margins for that, uh, it's very large. That's an ins I mean, that's the same amount uh, of, of money, especially for Atlanta United. But I, I did want to ask you one, one player, one player that interests me in particular, because he was born about uh, maybe about 30 miles from where I grew up. Uh, that would be Julian Gressel. He's from... Uh, North oh, Gresselmania! Yeah, yes. <laughs> He's from uh, Neustadt. I'm from Ambiak. So we're not too far apart. He, he began his youth career at Greuther Fürth, which is uh, near Nuremberg, and started off at uh, TSV Neustadt, then went on to Eintracht Bamberg. And weirdly enough, so he took the German unconventional route to becoming a professional footballer. Instead, he did. He did. Yeah, Go instead ahead. of going to from Eintracht Braun, uh, Braunschweig, from Eintracht Bamberg to, say, FC Nuremberg, or going back to the Greuther Fürth senior team, 
or you know somewhere else in Bavaria, like Augsburg or something like that. He went to college. He went to a college called <laughs> Providence. So he, he became did. he became a Providence writer. Now I, I think um, a lot of the UK listeners they're going to be like, "What do you mean he went to college?" So basically, that's the that's the main difference between I'll say American sports, where the amateur the amateur players play at university, and with obviously Germany. Spain, England, wherever they come up through the club system. Whatever you do, school wise is on that's school stuff, and whatever you do with football is that's with your club. So he played. He both went to school and played for Providence up until 2016, and then he joined from Providence. Uh, I'm assuming he was drafted by Atlanta United. Is that he was drafted, he was drafted by, by Atlanta United? Yes. And then goes on to become the 2017 Major League Soccer Rookie of the Year. So tell us yeah. a little bit about Gressel. So Gressel was uh, in the first round. He was the eighth overall pick for Atlanta United. Um, he was somebody that when we originally drafted him, and this is something that's been in, uh, a sort of a debate between MLS fans, is whether or not this uh, sort of super draft is uh, worth it or not when we talk about colleges and things like that. Because more times than not, as we're seeing, um, the European model is actually starting to work in MLS soccer. So, uh, for instance, more or less, than not uh players are uh coming up through the academies and then being uh drafted from the academies to the usl level which is like a second division uh mls level and they're playing in the usl and then they're being drafted from the usl back up to the first team so um as we're seeing now with 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 the way that MLS is starting to progressively, and I mean progressively, I mean like rapidly change the way that um, soccer works mm -hmm. in the United States. We are seeing the more European model work, but even more so uh, in the past recent years, there has been a, a huge influx of um, college athletes or collegiate athletes that, depending on where they are in the world, they would go to um, American schools in the United States and play soccer there. And then from those uh, schools, they would be entered into the Super Draft. So Gressel obviously came from Providence College. Um, he, I, I can't talk too much about his season there, but he was uh, obviously an outstanding player for his team. He was picked uh, in the first draft, the eighth overall pick. Uh, we had him more as a utility player when he started with us. He came on uh, for substitutions. He became one of our sort of super subs, you guess you could say. Mm -hmm. It's because every time he came on, he provided quality uh, service to the goal. Um, he just ended up being uh, somebody that we relied upon in uh, situations where we were uh, needing extra players. For instance, the first season uh, when Joseph Martinez was out for, unfortunately, four months, and I, I don't know if anybody listening to this actually knows Atlanta United, but Joseph Martinez is like our premier striker. That is the person that we rely upon uh, game after game for goals. He's actually, uh, his goal to game rate is insane um, compared to most goal scorers in MLS. Uh, but uh, when he was out for a solid period of the season last year, we looked on Gressel to play a uh, left wing back role, which is normally what uh, 
Tito Vijaba plays. Um, and then, you know, he became from there somebody that was more than a super sub. He became a fixture piece for us. It was interesting to see, though, coming into this 2018 season, we didn't necessarily think that he was going to play such a huge role. But once we started the season and we started playing a different formation than we've ever played before, which is a 3-5-2, uh, which is, uh, if anybody that knows Tata Martino, is not normally a formation that he plays in. He prefers a pressing style of uh, play. He prefers to get everybody forward and have the back line uh, higher up the field than normal. But a 3-5-2 is a formation that we uh, ended up uh, settling on this year that was a more defensive uh, formation that allowed us to hold the back line but uh, bomb when we needed to. Gressel has become um, sort of a surprise revelation for us. And I know that the, that's a, uh, a, a determinate way of saying it, but we knew he was good. But I don't think we knew how good he was until the beginning of the season. And Gressel is now undoubtedly somebody that should be starting for our first eleven. Uh, if he's, if it's undoubtedly going to be a huge super sub for us coming off the bench. And he is somebody that I look at seeing his progression and his timeline through our team as being somebody that will be, uh, approached, uh, by an EPL team or a Bundesliga team, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, within the next two years. He's, he's not, he's not going to stay with us for very long. He's just too talented. So let me ask you this. So this is a great segue because you talked about this thing, this this draft thing. Okay, so uh, American football was invented in America. Uh, Major League Baseball also invented in America. National Basketball Association founded also in these United States of America. The draft makes sense. It's been the American sports way of life since I mean, since I can obviously in our lifetimes, but many many lifetimes before ours. So. Uh, Football, soccer, not invented in America. Uh, no. <laughs> it, came, it, came, it, came, it came from it came from overseas. Uh, is it so? There's this whole debate right now, as I alluded to, about the promotion relegation. I, I think Europeans, especially, I, I've talked to people who are Calcio fans, so Serie A, Bundesliga, they have this unbelievably hard understanding, and and it's funny because I get it as an NFL fan because it's all we've ever known. There's the college draft. There is no uh you, you know fc fc nuremberg that plays football that we can get talent from in germany it's just it's just a stateside game for the most part especially at the elite level and those elite talents come from university of georgia or alabama or florida or miami or florida state or wherever and that's 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 whoever the best player is the worst team the worst team yes you get rewarded for being absolutely abysmally bad they get the, <laughs> to the first pick so um you know, it, it, the, the, the promotion relegation, if you're bottom of the MLS, then you get a higher draft pick. So if you perform, the worse you perform, the more talented player in theory you will get. So let me say this. The more the player with the most upside and potential you will get. So do you, what are your thoughts on promotion relegation and, and the draft as a whole? Do you think that, that MLS should get their talent just like the rest of the civilized football world does, uh, you know, through the, like you said, the youth systems or purchasing players from uh, maybe uh, 
well-known, but uh, the player himself is a lesser-known South American player, or as in you know, Julian Gressel's case, uh, a German player who struggled to get in perhaps a first team with uh, a major club over there, but gets an opportunity with a club like Atlanta United. And should they have it where if you win the USL, you should get you should get entrance to the to the to the uh, MLS, and if you finish dead last in MLS, you should move down to the second tier. Uh, whew, you this is a very loaded question. I know. Uh, <laughs> so, but um, this is the one thing I can say that interests people the most because they find it the one thing that could be potentially missing from quote unquote legitimizing the league in the eyes of the world. Right. Um. Well, first and foremost, there's mm-hmm. going to be a very hard uh, way to legitimize the league in front of the world. The world sees um, MLS soccer as being subpar, and that's something that we're obviously working on year in, year out to change. Um, so um, I don't think ProRAL immediately would change the way that the world views MLS, but I feel like um, and this is, like I said, it's a very loaded question. It's a very, it's a very hot topic, and ProRel is something that's often discussed between uh, fans and uh, people alike. But um, you have to look at it this way: um, EPL has been around for over a hundred years. Depending on each club, it's you know years upon years of, of history there. Um, MLS, you know, hasn't obviously been in uh, contention and or been in existence for very long. So the way that we run the leagues right now and we run the teams is going to be different than what has been seen throughout the world. Because even though uh, football is a world sport, for uh, Americans, um, what we call soccer, Mm -hmm. hasn't been around for very long. So we are very much babies coming into a full-grown adults game. Um, that being said, uh, probably eventually we will end up getting into a pro L format. There's a lot of MLS teams that just don't, uh, invest the time. They don't invest the money to be, um, obviously competition in this league. We're sitting at 23 teams right now in the MLS league. And that is not including the team that was just added today, like literally just added today, which was FC Cincinnati, which is, if you want to look at it on an EPL uh, level, it was a team that would have been considered relegated because it's a, a lower level team. But um, one of the weird things about the team that was just added today is that it's drawing more MLS numbers as far as attendance than some of the more well-known teams in Major League Soccer. So um, that's a huge add for us is a Cincinnati with more uh, a Cincinnati city with more viewers, with more supporters. Um, in the end, um, ProRel is eventually going to come. That's my opinion. Uh, there's too many clubs out here that are putting money where their mouth is. They're putting money where their team is. They're they're investing in players. They're best, they're investing in the league. There's a lot of teams here that are using money unwisely, um, not uh, building teams the way they should, um, and or just coasting by with the fact that it makes some money every year. So, you know, we'll just keep it on the books sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like eventually within maybe 
20 years, Pro-L is going to be a thing. Um, yes, um, so you said 20 years. Because, see, I was going to actually ask you if you would see that in the next decade. I mean, honestly, I probably could see in the next decade. It depends on how many teams are added to the league. Right now, we're sitting at 24. Is teams. that too many? Huh? Do you think that's too many? No, no, I don't think it's too many. But I think once you get over a certain amount, and I, I mean, once you get to maybe 30 teams, there's got to be a sort of distinction. And there's honestly already a distinction right now between teams and MLS. Whether or not the pro rel is added to the distinction of it, there are teams that you look at as being the real hot shots of a league like you would your your EPL leagues like your Man City and your Man U and your you know your Liverpool um, mm-hmm. and your Arsenals those are the hot shots of the league those are the teams that have the most money that can start uh, paying players more and getting higher quality players you've got teams like that that already exist in MLS um, we're just not in a system where the teams that are below us that aren't that aren't um, trying to acquire players like this or trying to to gain money and or uh, acquire players to then transfer out. Um, th- those teams aren't looked at as being, um, I guess, relegated, but in a, in a sense, they are the bottom of the league. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know that, you know, certain teams need to uh, step up or they are literally going to be left behind. Because MLS, um, and I will say this for somebody that's uh, been watching, MLS has changed so drastically within the past two years. And that seems crazy from a... Uh, a, a football standpoint, excuse me, I keep wanting to say soccer because it's MLS soccer. But, they're, they're, um, they're one and the same. And the, and the thing is, like I said, the, the, the Brits, they, they, they know, they used the term for many, many years, and then it became uncool to say, and we kept it. So it's kind of, it, it's, it's so funny we say soccer and football, and I, I find myself doing all the time, it's soccer, I mean football. And it's just because we have another football in this country, and we, 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 we tend to identify it more so than soccer with that term, but yeah, it's it, it's it, it becomes annoying to me too because I'm like, damn it, you you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, we we, we all know what we mean when when I'm what I'm talking about. Yes, yes. There there is very obviously within the dynamics and the fabric work of MLS, there are teams that if pro rel started today, they would be in relegation easily. Absolutely, and 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 they would have to work their way out of it if they tried to work their way out of it. Um, and they honestly sometimes spend their money like they are a relegation team. So it's it's very interesting to see the dynamic of it. Um, uh, I don't think that MLS uh, will get to pro rel um, within the next few years. Maybe t- looking at it in a decade, maybe, maybe depending on how many teams are added into the league. Um, and especially depending on the way that the teams uh keep or and or manage the club whether they actually put money into it whether the people who own the teams care about the uh sport of football um because what you have with a particular team that i'm thinking of Mm -hmm. um is that the owner has a lot of money but doesn't necessarily care about the sport right it's just a cash cow yeah and i can tell you that it would be such a they talk about football romanticism all the time and it would be such a story for the Charleston Battery, for example, and Charleston Battery, they are my they are my hometown team here in the states. 
And for them to win the USL and then get promoted to MLS, that would be the first time in history that a major sports uh, league has been had a team present in Charleston, South Carolina. So, and they would have done it the old-fashioned way by earning it. They didn't. They didn't have a, right. a rich owner like Jerry Jones come in or Stan Kroenke or uh, Roman Abramovich. No, they 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 have. It's a, it's a small operation. They play at the. It used to be Black Ball Stadium. I forget what it's called now. But anyways, it's it's one of your typical like um, third division German league stadiums, ten thousand seats and such forth. And but it would just be such a great thing for them to. You could see the natural growth, and they won the league before. And of course, they've been rewarded right. with uh, going. <laughs> you're playing in the same league again next year, which is just yeah. having myself having grown up overseas is such a foreign concept because you you're a little you're it, it made such a such a dream that even if it's impossible it was still one in a 10,000 chance reality that your team could one day play in the Bundesliga if they if they right. win if they win they're in and that's and 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 you know it, it's it, it, it that's what makes the sport so pure and it's what makes you know everybody support these lower 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 uh lower it tier makes, teams it makes the the managerial team uh the effort the effort has to be there in order to to be relegated um you know uh not relegated but uh obviously advanced but um the the same sort of ideal that you're talking of is somewhat uh compared to what just happened with uh fc cincinnati so um, for people who listen to this uh, that don't follow MLS, FC Cincinnati um, has put in a bid for for them to be an MLS uh, franchisee. So they obviously play in the second league right now, which is considered uh, USL. Mm-hmm. Uh, FC Cincinnati has a huge contention um, as far as like a fan base. They are packing 35,000 plus into a stadium, which is um, so in MLS numbers is a lot of people. Um, and they have won the title last year. They uh, are obviously a, a very well-qualified soccer team. Mm-hmm. Um, the organization um, is legit. Uh, and they just uh, have been accepted and or their bid to join the MLS has been accepted today. So they, as far as when we talk about uh, to this 2019 season, they will be uh, an MLS team. So in, in a way... That's, that's, you know, obviously pro rel at work. Um, but in a way it's not because there had to have been a bid in and the commissioner of MLS would have had to have gone to the city to, to, to in a, a poor manner of words, deem it worthy, um, see that the city is obviously a city that um, is going to be under the framework that MLS is trying to build. And I know for a fact that right now MLS is trying to build a framework and um, a, a supportership with fans and with cities when, it, when it's compared to soccer, uh, the same with EPL. We want to be... Um, we we don't want to be seen as a retirement league and it, and it bothers us when people see us as a retirement league because yeah. it is the old stigma and there are so many teams here now that are doing to get quality talent to have top players um to get unknown players to perform at a high level 
I, I can tell you so many teams right now that don't have the working LA Galaxy model, like uh, get a Beckham or get a Zlatan Ibrahimovic. E- even the same with this new transfer, which really gets my goat. <laughs> um, with uh, DC United with getting Wayne Rooney. Yes. Because it's it's a it's a play for the name. It's not a play for the sport. Um, Wayne Rooney, and that, that's not any slight at Wayne Rooney or Zlatan Ibrahimovic. No, of course not. No. It's, a, it's a slight at Everton. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, no, it, we, we all know they're really great players, and I'm sure that a lot of people in uh, EPL or you know, elsewhere in the world will look at those players coming to MLS and be like, oh, they're going to teach us something. But in reality, um, and this is actually also something, um, I don't know if you saw it, but, and I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast knows what TMZ is. Oh yeah, no, I know what they are. (laughs) So uh, TMZ did a recent like sports uh, clip of them talking about Major League Soccer, mm-hmm. and they were specifically talking about the Wayne Rooney uh, joining DC transfer rumor. Um, and they talked about it as such of like, um, we don't understand why DC is getting Wayne Rooney because, you know, he's out of his prime. Um, but then they immediately followed that up with, well, it doesn't really matter because he's still going to be a better player than anybody else in MLS. And it it really I don't want to say it hurt, but it it I'm gonna use the phrase again, it got my goat. Um to, to a lot to, of to people piggy, to in, piggy, yeah, to in, pig, sorry, to piggyback on what you just said though, that's the way I felt about Kaka, uh, David Bia and Bastian Schweinsteiger and especially Ibra, because when Ibra came in and made his debut with Galaxy, he scores a goal and it's you know, it's like, oh look, he can do that in MLS. He couldn't do that with United anymore, so they sent his ass packing. But look what he can do against these little, you know, uh, uh, subpar professional football, if they want to call him professional yeah, football but, players. Yeah, but look at where Ibra is right now. Yeah, he scores an opening goal, which he has done with a lot of teams that he's joined. Yes. But where is he now? He's still in a losing season. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't matter what one player can do. You can't turn an entire team. It doesn't matter how good you are. Yeah. You can't carry that team. Um, and by, by far... None of the players that you have just said, um, obviously Kaká is out of it because he's retired. Yeah. But uh, David Villa it, is still uh, absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm not going to deny anything David Villa has done. Um, and uh, Schweinsteiger was actually quite good with the fire. Yeah. Is also very good. But but you look at Schweinsteiger with Chicago, and he's not holding that team together either. There are so many more pieces to that puzzle that have to be built. And this is one of the things that 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 really pisses me off is that people look at MLS and they say uh, it's such a lower level league, but you don't understand that um, the EPL has a bankroll. I want to say ten times the size of what MLS is allowed to use allowed and i use the word allowed because we are literally not allowed to go over certain numbers and figures and transfers and we're only allowed a certain number of international slots it's the way that the league has sort of um put these these standards on our team so no matter how well we try to build our roster no matter how well we try to organize the team we're still not going to be able to acquire the players that you will in EPL because we don't have the bankroll to do it because we're not allowed the bankroll to do it, whether or not we've got owners that can give the money over. And additionally, when it comes to international slots, we're only allowed, I think, 
and I'm I'm saying a number right now, and I'm, this might be completely incorrect, but like six international slots. Mm-hmm. Think about any MP, EPL team you have. How many international players do you have? How many of them are originally from uh, England? Very few. And how many of them are from international places? A lot. Exactly. And now imagine trying to make Arsenal fit within the model that you've got so many English players and then only six international players. Yeah, it's in, impossible. Yeah. So y- you can, you can judge MLSs all you want. And, and I'm not going to go against the, the, the league by saying that these rules shouldn't exist because it does also, it d- encourages uh, managers and or uh, team owners to be creative. But, um, it's just where we are right now in in our infancy. We are very much in our infancy. But this goes back to this this idea that that the players that are coming in, the quote unquote retirement players, mm-hmm. are better than any other player that's in MLS, and that's a hundred percent not a fact. It's just not a fact. Yeah, no, that's not. I agree with you there. You've got Piatti, um, obviously with the Portland Timbers, who is. Uh, 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 a fantastic player. Um, um, no, Valeri. Valeri with Valeri. the Timbers. And then you've got Piatti with Montreal. You've got Almiron that's obviously going to go to EPL or um, an, Italy, an Italy league uh, within this year. Like, he's going to be sold, and it's something that we know and we're just sort of having to deal with. Um <laughs> You've got uh, Barco, who just joined the league and is already sort of tearing everybody up, and he's from Argentina. Uh, Independiente, the club Independiente. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, Sebastian Javinko, uh, who is a Mexican national team uh, player and is absolutely destroying everybody with LAFC. I mean. You've got Simon, which is a Bulgarian player who um, has been called up because of his play with LAFC because he's just also, once again, just reaching max potential. Same with um, the Scottish player, uh, Johnny Russell, who is now uh, was on a, uh, I want to say... I uh, don't know what league he came from, um, but he was uh, a lower level, probably lower level three uh, team in Scotland, uh, sort of overlooked by most people. Uh, Sporting Kansas City, uh, an uh, MLS team, uh, found him, spotted him, uh, signed him, and he has been destroying defenses ever since he came into MLS. Sometimes you just have to give players that have talent that are sort of being overshadowed by the position that they're in they're being overshadowed by their circumstances you got to give them room to breathe and i think that that's what mls does so well especially with almiron and barco um not specifically for atlanta united and 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 cases like johnny russell and lawrence simon is you've got these players that are being consistently overlooked but it just it just matters on you know what team they're playing on and the manager that they're playing underneath and they can shine because johnny russell has been promoted to the Scottish national team. Yeah, Johnny I Russell mean, came from uh, Derby County, so he actually played in the yes. the first league, and so that's right under the Premiership. So he is he that that's so you're playing with Nottingham Forest, Leeds United, Fulham, Aston Villa, Sunderland, Middlesbrough. You're playing with some pretty decent te- decent clubs there. 
came originally his uh, start was at Dundee United in, in, in Scotland. But yeah. He, oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but one player, uh, is, as, as we uh, go towards the end, I could talk about this with you all night because it is fascinating just the, the, the difference of, uh, of worlds between what is becoming fast and furious, a, a, a very good uh, professional soccer league in MLS, but still has a long way to go and also a long way to go in people's opinions. But a couple of more topics I wanted to hit on you, uh, one of them being how big of a deal was it that they had their first ever representative MLS, that is, in the CONCACAF Champions League last year with Toronto FC narrowly losing to Guadalajara, uh, 3-3 on aggregate, 4-2 on penalties. Uh, what, what, what Toronto FC obviously has been kind of a power in MLS for a few years now. Obviously, a couple of um, U.S. international players. Altador is the first one that comes to mind, plays with them. But the guy I want to talk to you about after you answer the question about how big that was is obviously Sebastian Jovinko. Uh, well, uh, Toronto FC is a hundred percent a powerhouse. They had one of the best MLS seasons, uh, on record, if not the best MLS season on record last year. Um, uh, there, there, there's a lot of things that can be said about Toronto FC, uh, especially about the players we're about, that we're about to go into Sebastian Giovinco, but, um, the entire team in general, you know, with Altador, um, and, uh, Michael Bradley, uh, it's a team of stars. They are actually one of the, when we talk about um, the pay rate di- disparity between EPL and MLS, they're actually one of the the highest money rolled uh, and allowed money rolled uh, MLS teams in, in this league. So they, they have the, the highest allocation for money to players. So they can afford better players than, you know, some of the teams that are lower down, um, in the league, but no, uh, undoubtedly them going that far, um, and the CCL was, uh, crazy exciting, uh, as much as I don't really like TFC because of, um, many games that we played against them. Um, um, by the way, every game that Atlanta United has played against Toronto FC, we've tied. So we're just as good as them, in my opinion. Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, I was rooting for them. I wanted them to win. Uh, it's kind of crazy that the way they went out. But, um, you know, it, it was a good game. It, it, they, In my opinion, they should have won against Guadalajara. Um, and that also goes against uh, New York Red Bulls losing against Guadalajara because I thought that New York Red Bulls had, if anything, a better chance to to beat Guadalajara. Um, it was just a matter of who, what players they played, and they didn't play Kaku, and there's a whole thing with that. But um, for an MLS team getting that far in the final, for the fact that two MLS teams got that far in the tournament, was was a huge was a huge thing and i will say this right now is that atlanta united is like i think a point away from being um able to get into the ccl right now yeah depending on how well we play our season we might end up being in the ccl uh next year and if we are in the ccl next year um we're winning it that's just it's I, I am I'm 100% ready for an MLS team to beat a Spanish league team. And I think that if any team right now is capable of doing so, it's either Atlanta United or, weirdly enough, it is uh, LAFC. So for those, for those who don't know, follow, there is this, and I, I talked about this on the last podcast, 
I am absolutely in love with the FIFA Club World Cup patch. I, I, I think it really symbolizes your club because it you don't get a you don't get a patch the next season for winning the Champions League. You just get the respect patch and the ball again. And if you've won it multiple multiple times, you get the little trophy and a number. But if you win the FIFA Club World Cup, you get that patch, and that signifies not only are you the FIFA Club World Cup champions, but you also won the UEFA Champions League. If you are a CONCACAF Champions League winner, you compete in the FIFA Club World Cup competition. Mm -hmm. So that means that you as Toronto FC or you if you are Atlanta FC, uh, Atlanta United and win it, you are playing against Real Madrid. You're playing against the Barcelonas. You're playing against the Bayern Munichs. You're playing against the Juventuses. Well, yep. sorry, Juventus, you haven't won it in decades. So my bad on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so so that's such a an honor to. I think it's a seven. It's the seven confederations. So it's seven teams, and I know it's it's kind of sucks because Europe gets like a uh, they get like two buys. They get like. The, the 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 bottom four play each other and then there's another round and then Europe comes in like at the semifinal stage. So they basically have right. to win one match and then they play the final. So you know it's it's kind of it's kind of uh slated in a way that the European champions almost automatically get to the final. That not set that notwithstanding, um you mentioned uh Atlanta United winning it, but let me ask you how what are your opinions because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of Italian uh, Azzurri fans, uh, Italian national team fans, and as well as uh, Calcio fans that would love to see Sebastian Giovinco return to Serie A because he's been uh, just a world beater in Major League Soccer, putting up gaudy numbers uh, ever since he got in the league. Where do you think he's the one European star that? He came into his own in MLS long before he was past his prime. So he is not a retirement player. He he became a name in Major League Soccer. And he did, yeah. So do you think he will ever get lured back to the European continent? Or do you think he's an MLS mainstayer? And do you think that's why? Because he plays in MLS and perhaps the MLS gets that stigma of being a lesser league that Italy does not call him up regularly to the national side. Um, no, I don't because there are other, um, there are other national teams that have called up players from MLS. So I feel like that in itself, uh, negates that statement. Mm -hmm. Um, as we all know, Italy is not going to the world cup. So that also <laughs> nope. might, uh, might deter, um, Italy from calling Juvenco up and were, you know, it is also the discretion of the club on whether or not the player goes. So um, right now, one of the most interesting things going on with Giovinco is that his contract is not necessarily solidified with Toronto FC. Um, and that Tigris, which, as we all know, is a, a Mexican league uh, club, is uh, in hot pursuit of him. So there's a there's a good chance that he is actually going to go to the Mexican league. Um, depending on whether or not Toronto FC um, solidifies his contract forever, however many years. But no, so Sebastian Giovinco um, is, by all lesser words, a superstar in MLS. Um, came onto the scene, um, you know, not, not necessarily a well-known player, and then just completely uh, flipped the game on us. Um, as anybody knows that's seen a, a game with uh, Sebastian Giovinco, you don't want to give him a free kick anywhere near the box mm -hmm. because he will score on you. It's just something that he is um, – it's a skill that he's adept at. 
Um, but also his playmaking ability, his ability to uh, connect players on passes. Um, this definitely goes to to the reason that I think Altidore is as, as, as lethal as he, as he is. Um, because Altidore, without somebody like Juvenko, uh feeding him crosses and or feeding him passes is not as... Um, uh, and this also goes for Vasquez as well, but um, he's not as uh, potent in the uh, attack. Um, so, no, Sebastian Giovinco is a star. He is, as anybody that looks at his stat, he's a high stat player. Um, I don't know whether he's reached his prime in MLS and if he can go any further. And so maybe Tigres is a new challenge for him. Um, I'm not completely familiar with... Uh, not necessarily the team, but I'm not completely familiar with the rumors that are going on about him and his contract. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be more somebody on uh, Toronto FC side. But uh, I think that uh, he 100% is a quality player. I think that he do- actually does deserve to be somewhere like the EPL um, or the Bundesliga or La Liga. Um, um it's interesting that they haven't called him. Um, it is, I think, that stigma of being an MLS. Um, no matter how a player can prove himself, no matter how you know how how good the stats are and how good the uh, the rates of conversion and things like that are, um, people will always look at MLS and be like, "Well, you didn't play against the highest caliber of players." But I think that's uh, I think it's a lie, honestly. Um, and we're we're getting better players year in and year out. So, no, I, I definitely think Sebastian Giovinco de- deserves to be somewhere within the EPL. I don't know if um, that's where his heart is at. I don't know if that's where his... Um, and he's 31 years old, so I don't know if um, he's just sort of reached his burner capacity and whether he wants to push a full three more, three, four more years. Um, but... Um, I love the guy. I think he's a great player. Um, I definitely think he deserves to be called up to the uh, Italy national team, um, obviously for friendlies. But um, it'll be interesting to sort of see where he goes from here because, like I said, he is 31. And as we all know with um, soccer players, or excuse me, football players, uh, (laughs) that is an older age. For somebody like him. It, it is indeed. It'd be interesting to see what happens with him in the next uh, coming time. But real quick, um, to kind of wrap up the MLS discussion and then get on to one final question for you. Um, where do you see Atlanta United FC in a decade? And where do, you see the, where do you see the league in a decade? And what I mean by that is Atlanta United, will they have, I believe they will, I'm, and I'm sure that you're going to co-sign this, will they have some silverware to display in the next decade? And will the, will the league be more how do i put this will they be more will financial restraints come off a little bit as you had alluded to earlier the restrictions in certain teams signing players will will mls be able to sign more lucrative deals be able to some of the restrictions that kind of keep it where it's at or where it's at right now will those be lifted and will it become a more prestigious and prominent league in 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 the world Okay, so um, with the idea, I'm going to skip Atlanta right now because I'll eventually get into that, but with with the league, with the uh, financial restrictions that we have, um, slowly, um, 
so slowly-ish, that is progressing. So for instance, uh, especially what was done this past year with us acquiring Ezekiel Barco from Independiente in Argentina, that was a $15 million transfer. It's obviously the largest transfer that's ever been done in MLS. Um, And obviously, uh, we have very high hopes for Ezekiel Barco, and there's a very, very good opportunity we sell him for 30-plus because he's just that good. Uh, But... In relation to uh, financial expenditures and the allowance of what we like to call here in the States Garber Bucks, um, because our commissioner is Don Garber, Um, as we've been seeing over the past couple of years, um, there have been sort of financial rules that have come into place that have allowed teams to spend a bit more money than is normally allowed. There, I believe, is one more international slot that is available to take if your international player is below, I think, the age is like if the player is below 20 years old or it's like the super young DP rule, designated player rule. Um, it allows you to have sort of an extra, an extra designated player on your roster, um, despite, you know, however many designated players you have. Um, and I know that that gets complicated when we talk about, uh, salaries and things like that for somebody that doesn't know the, um, MLS salary caps and, or salary rules for designated players and, or young designated players. It's a whole convoluted mess that I myself don't technically understand, (laughs) but what I have seen with over the past two years is that certain rules have started taking or becoming, uh, in effect to allow teams and or owners to, uh, pay players more money and or um, attract higher caliber players to the league. So if anything, Don Garber and uh, MLS know that we are, once again, in our infancy, but they're allowing the sort of restrictions and or rules that have been been in place since our birth to sort of wean a little bit to allow teams who want to take the risk and or put the money forth to uh, get higher caliber players and or players that are lesser known but will end up being uh, bigger players in the world field later um as far as atlanta united on where i see us in the next decade uh silverware is undoubtedly in our future um our team is just our team isn't our team has managed to win Mm -hmm. um and that's something that they went out the first year expecting to win Uh, and or, if anything, get to the playoffs, which we did. Um, I think there's a very good chance that we win some silverware this year. Um, I would love for it to be the MLS Cup. If not, I would love for it to be the Supporter Shield. Um, Most people that don't know MLS don't know what I'm talking about. It's fine. Um, (laughs) uh, But this team is run like a European league. We expect to be able to pull in players that most people don't necessarily know, but we have discovered and will play for our team and become a superstar in the MLS. And then we will sell to EPL. It's the same thing that we've got going on right now with Miguel Amaron. It's a player that we know that we're probably going to lose in the summer transfer window to an EPL team uh, or to a La Liga team, depending on, you know, whatever team he goes to. Um, but we, we, 
we are ran and or functioned and are set up to be a team that's very much on the higher level of play and or functionality like a uh, Man City, like a Man United, like a Liverpool. Just without the same sort of bankroll allowed. Um, man, I would love to be able to uh, afford players like you guys can. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know where the league goes as far as money allocation in the next 10 years, but I definitely see Atlanta United being uh, a staple for the league. We've already proved it in our supporter numbers. We've already, um, you know, obviously proved it in our, our functionality with getting to the playoffs last year. We've proved it with uh, one of the hardest things that any team can do, definitely in its second year. And I'm going to repeat that second year is depth in a league and in a club. And that's one of the things that we've sort of relied upon this year because we've had some really weird uh, injuries. But our depth has been um, incredible. Players that we didn't know were able to step up to the uh, plate were able to. Um, so it's it will be really interesting to see where we are in the next 10 years. But undoubtedly, silverware and or uh, prestigency is... I don't even know if prestigency is a word, but it's in our future. I think it's just prestige. <laughs> prestige, yeah. Uh, no, uh, definitely, and 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 they're they're a team that I, as I said, a, a writer that I used to to work with at a, a on, on a British site. He did an article on Atlanta United back in January, and I read it, and I uh, edited that article and published it, and it was fantastic because it kind of gave me an inside view on the team, and I'm going to keep my eye on. Yeah. Oh my goodness, all that uh, whiskey, I guess. Um, I, I am going to keep my eye out on them as well, because I think that you're right that Atlanta United's doing things the right way and they're doing things, uh, they're built, they're built to last. So, uh, one, one final question. So, uh, you've alluded to this a couple of times tonight. So real quickly, I have to ask you, who is your first love in European football and how did you, (laughs) how did you, how did, how did they become your first love? Um, so that would be Barcelona. Okay. Um, so when I was in college, I, uh, I watched the, uh, the World Cups growing up, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I've always sort of liked the Spanish team, um, their Spanish national team. Um, and so when I started getting into watching, um, like EPL teams and La Liga teams, um, I was captivated by Barcelona, especially with the Tiki Taka system. Um, I thought uh, the style of play was interesting to watch. There was always something going on on the pitch. Um, I remember when I was in college, I would be in study hall, and I instead of studying, I was watching uh, Barcelona teams, obviously, or the Barcelona uh, games, obviously. But, um, I mean, I fell in love with, and I can't remember exactly what year, year, year it was, but Carlos Priol was the captain. Um, by far still one of my favorite defenders that I've ever seen in my life was Carlos Priol because he just read the game incredibly well. Um, the leadership on his side was something that was just unbelievable to me. And it was, um, it it was from them that I understood like the, the the meaning of a game was more or less, uh, the, the fight between two teams than it was just, uh, who wins the game, uh, the strategic play. Um, same with, uh, Iniesta. Um, Iniesta has grown to be one of my favorite players as well. Uh, the way that he can, um, 
play and there'll be the maestro uh, between different players. Almost in my idea, um, losing him in Barcelona is going to be extremely uh, difficult because I think the entire team uh, is now at a loss. Um, as good as Messi is, and, and Messi is quite wonderful, um, I feel like you're losing a huge key piece in Iniesta. He held that midfield together. It will be interesting to see how they rebound after he leaves. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in regard, um, I watched Barcelona when uh, Tata Martino was there. Mm-hmm. I watched Barcelona when Pep Guardiola was there. Um, I haven't been able to watch uh, as much recently as I would like to just because I'm trying to fully commit myself to MLS. Um, but Barcelona has always been the first love of my life, and it's actually the first soccer jersey I've ever gotten myself. So, Which player did you get? Iniesta. <laughs> okay, all right. Hey, nothing wrong um, with that. Nothing wrong with I, that. I was, really close. I was really close to getting uh, Gerard Piquet because uh, I, I have an infinity for defenders. Um, I, I everybody loves the strikers. Everybody loves the people who are the the main goal scorers. But in my opinion, the, the defenders are the ones that make a team. Um, that are normally captains on a team. Um, they're the ones that hold the play together when everything seems like it's falling apart. And so for me, it's very interesting to see how a defender runs a game when they're at their wits end. Yeah, so that's my love of Barcelona. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's 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 a great that's a great story told, especially the study hall uh, uh, soccer uh, watching parties that you were having. <laughs> I had to scream very silently. I, I yeah, or or headphones, right? Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually I was going to ask another question, but I think I'm going to pocket it because uh, we're definitely going to have you on again in the future. Your your abs- your insight into MLS has been absolutely unparalleled. Um, I think it really. I, I definitely wanted to have this on because I think so many people just need to understand how the league is, what, where, where it's come from, where it is right now and where it's going. And I think you've done that beautifully tonight. So I'm going to pocket, I'm going to pocket Kelly, my Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo (laughs) versus Lionel Messi question. And I, I I may actually, I'm going to see what happens at the world cup as uh, both will be participating because I I said before we were in kind of a pre pre podcast talks that really one of the big differentiators is that Cristiano Ronaldo has that one international trophy with Portugal having won the 2016 European Championship. If Messi wins the 2018 World Cup, it puts a whole different spin on this debate. And I think I think we should wait until July before we truly answer this question because they're even they're even on. Uh, Ballon d'Ors. There, obviously, Messi has more overall domestic titles. Uh, he has them all in the same league. Uh, of course, Ronaldo has the uh, Premier League titles, also FA Cups, uh, has ch- uh, Champions League with. Um, does he have? Let's see, ch- 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 Champions Leagues. Yeah, all of them with Real Madrid, uh, and he has the one with uh, Manchester United in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. So. Um, He's done a couple of things at two different clubs, whereas Messi's done it all at once. So we're gonna we're gonna pocket that debate. We're gonna pocket okay. that debate. All right. So for for right now, tell everyone uh, where they can find you on Twitter and what you are working on right now in the world of football. 
Oh, uh, so you can find me on Twitter at the Kelly Francis. Uh, hot takes are welcomed. Whether or not I respond to you is a totally different uh, topic. <laughs> um, uh, I'm also on my own podcast with my good friend Jay Riddle. Um, we are unrelegated. And it's an Atlanta United podcast that focuses on uh, Atlanta United, on the community, and, and on MLS. You can find us at Unrel ATL. Uh, so that's un r e l a t l on Twitter and or Instagram and Facebook. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, aside from that, I've got a lot of projects that I'm working on with MLS that I can't necessarily talk about right now, um, but hopefully can divulge later uh, into the year when we get closer to certain dates. So if you want to be interested or and or look at see what I'm trying to doing with the MLS, uh, just follow me on Twitter and then I'll release all the information when I'm allowed. Awesome, Kelly. Thank you. And so for everyone, that has been episode nine of the Kings of Europe podcast. Again, I want to thank everyone for their awesome continued support of the show, especially uh, got a lot of listens for that Champions League final. Uh, that was not the um, happiest show we've ever done, but um, nonetheless, the, you know, you, the show must go on. I want to thank everybody for listening <laughs> and uh, we will see you again uh, next week. I have been your host, Pretty Smith. That's at Pretty Smith on Twitter. And we will see you again next week on the Kings of Europe podcast. Thank you so much. Good night.